0: Welcome back for another episode of Cleantech Talk, where we at Cleantechnica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com.
1: Welcome back to Cleantech Talk. I'm your host, Michael Bernard, and I'm finishing up my conversation with Arthur Erickson, CEO of Helio. An agricultural drone spraying company. And to be clear, when you're spraying stuff with a drone, let's just take a compare and contrast. One of these $500,000 John Deere tractors, how much does it weigh?
0: A lot. I mean, <laughs> several tons. Let's several it, tons. Yeah, let's call it like five tons.
1: Five tons. And it can do as much as two of your drones. So your drones yeah. carry two, two 200 t- uh, pound tanks. The rest of the drone infrastructure is what 50, 80 pounds.
0: No, yeah, no, no. I completely see your point. Nick. Yes, for sure, we are using, we are killing or burning fewer dead dinosaurs than comparable tractor applications. But my point is, if you were to look at drones in a vacuum, are they carbon neutral and/or carbon negative? Oh, yet, no. I don't think so. But they are. Oh, no, 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 no. They are much better than what's out there right now. Yes, I will. Yeah, I it, will attest to that. <laughs>
1: And just kind of pulling this apart, right? Because you're using yeah, yeah, electrons yeah. to fly them. You're using, is it 50 to 80 pounds for your drone without the payload? Uh,
0: it depends on the model. Our biggest one would be more like 150 pounds with the batteries <laughs> and no payload. So, it, yeah, wow. it's quite big for a drone. These are brutes.
1: I yeah, just they're don't want one of those large. falling on the schoolyard or on me for that matter. But yeah, no, so yeah. the point is tons for the tractor being moved with diesel versus 150 pounds of your drone plus the pay the same amount of payload so it's 150 pounds being moved with electrons it's a vastly more efficient in terms of energy delivered to move the stuff or move just the infrastructure around and then any battery technology is lower carbon than any fossil fuel and energy path so you've got a couple of different efficiency things there so that's one of the things the second thing is the higher efficiency of applying especially ammonia based fertilizers has significant benefits in terms of downstream nitrous oxide stuff and upstream you know the the quantity has direct climate impact implications if you put a if you put a ton well let's i'm not going to hold you to this so you don't have to give the proviso again but if you use 50% less ammonia based fertilizer on a past then that's 50% less upstream co2e from the manufacturing, and it's fifty percent less downstream nitrous oxides, and that's a win. It's a attractive. part of the process that gets there. Absolutely. Um, now, there's another one too because phosphates are also problematic with field runoff. Now, you know, in the sense that phosphates get into and other some of the other stuff gets into, especially water streams, and creates algal blooms and you know various types of things like that. And the less we put on the fields, the less gets into the waterways. The less it blows over the sides, the less gets into the waterways. So this is why I'm so big on precision agriculture, no matter the technology, because I love tractors with GPSs and sensors and stuff like that. So let's, you know, I'm just, you know, teasing apart this because you don't seem to be telling that side of the story, probably because your farmers don't care as much. They want to Get the job done as efficiently as possible and cheap, more cheaply, and you can sell everything you do just based on those.
0: No, that that's right. Yeah, um, to be frank, you 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 nailed it. Farmers are are not so concerned about that. They're kind of like you end up in the same place as, let's say, like the the environmentally minded people. But for them, yeah, it's just a it, it, it's profits. Yep. Oh, I'm I'm actually using pure inputs. That's great because I'm going to make, you know, 30, 50% more bottom line. Yep. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, they both want the same thing, which is fewer inputs, but for different reasons, I should say. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, uh, Karsten Temme used in Pivot BioCell on the same thing, right? And we all live in the world we live in. You know, you know. It's uh, I, when I talk to people and they say, well, what do I do as someone who's trying to save stuff? Well, buy the car you can afford when you need a new car. If you can afford an electric car, get an electric car. When your gas furnace dies, consider a heat pump, but you know, try not to sweat it otherwise. We, have, we live in the world we live in, and we need food to your point very early on in this. So let's yeah. step back from that. I'm just gonna say I am wanted to speak to you guys because I see precision agriculture as one of the four major trends in agriculture, which are gonna bring agriculture down to carbon neutrality, which is an essential wedge over the next 80 years, right? And so, you know, you're going to reduce the uh, ammonia-based fertilizer application, stuff like Carson Temme's pivot bio reduces that as well. You use electrons, which are increasingly are green instead of from diesel, you know, using diesel. And so you, you, it's part of the trend to carbon neutrality for agriculture. And to That's your point, right. not there now or pretending, that and the soil compaction becomes important for me because low tillage agriculture is one of those things. And so the low-tillage agriculture, not removing the cover crop, piercing through with the planting thing, and then using precision stuff becomes important. And then just getting subsistence farmers off the places where there are still subsistence farmers and getting people using drones and high-tech doing their agriculture. So those are the four things I project. But pulling back from that, you know, reduction of fossil, you know, reduction of climate change, reduction of algal blooms, awesome stuff. But you've got a, a bit of a differentiator. So I've looked at some of your competitors. And, oh, my God, do you have 800-pound gorillas as competitors? DJI. Very large, yes. <laughs> yeah, DJI. I, I think they're the biggest drone company in the world. Absolutely. Has a, a drone agricultural supplier. And John Deere, right. who we mentioned a couple of times, has a big drone to drops the stuff. So well, I think I know how you're differentiated, but tell me what you see and why... You are, I think, superior, but wh- how do you differentiate yourself from those massive organizations?
0: I think one of our greatest strengths, you know, by by virtue of being a small startup, is that we, first of all, we hit market quickly years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. we already said at the top, by 2017, we already had our drones out in field spraying for real customers, for real money. So since then, I mean, going on six years of market validation, we have made very conscious efforts to only incorporate exactly what farmers need, and so there's no fluff in our products. There's no bloatware, right? It, there's no added costs that that aren't actually producing true value for the end users, which is the farmers and, and the custom applicators that are using these drones to service farms. So I think, I guess this is. I need to zoom out a little bit. Yeah, we're we're extremely market fit driven. And that has been one of our greatest strengths. And because we are a small company that focuses on that, we are able to implement changes that improve farmers' lives and, and their their experiences using our products like almost in, instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So we could have an update going on a week, a month, whatever. We're not this big behemoth company that needs to go through all these approval meetings and you know has like two-year product cycles or something like that. So that's like a, a big strength of us, our, our agility. Um, and the fact that we actually listen to what the customers want but let's zoom out let's look at some like the strategic failures of some of these other companies so dji for example is not a spray drone company right you know well i'll I'll recap they are originally a camera gimbal company that is what dji Mm -hmm. started doing they then naturally branched into drones for cinematography camera drones in general for all sorts of applications at some point, let's call it six or seven years ago, they bought another Chinese company that was making spray drones. They slapped their their shiny DJI logo on it, their nam, their, their brand power on it, and now they, you know, quote unquote sell spray drones. But it is not their core business, it's not on their DNA. And I'll say this, like it shows in their product. Their spray drone, yes, is polished from the outside and does have a, a lot of the cool like camera stuff that they brought over from that camera drone business like really nice like 4k video feed and stuff but ultimately that's not useful for farmers farmers don't care about what the drone can or can't see and how clear that video stream is they care about ease of use reliability in the field and 100 degree weather can it spray reliably for 12 hours a day for three months of spraying season and that's stuff that we have focused on religiously whereas dgi for a number of, of reasons just you know maybe it's in their dna maybe just differences in culture because they're a Chinese-based company, et cetera. They're not here talking to the American farmer day-to-day like we are. They just aren't hitting that market fit as well as we are. John Deere, that's a whole other subject. Before you get onto to
1: John Deere, let's let's, let's unpeel DGI. Because I looked at one of their videos, I looked at one of your videos because I was curious. I'm like, oh, this is an interesting space. I'm a nerd and I look at interesting stuff. And I noticed a really different model of... Control of the drones and planning the routes of the drones. So let's just ask the really basic question. What device do you guys use to plan the routes of the drones and how are they controlled when they're in flight versus how DGI does that?
0: Yeah, we wrote our entire mission planning interface and software in-house. We call it AgroSoul agrisol GCS, technically ground control station, and it runs on any Windows 10 or 11 platform. So that could be a laptop, desktop computer, tablet, Microsoft Surface Pro, like tablet hybrid thingy, anything with Windows 10 or 11. There's even some phones that you could run it on. DJI, on the other hand, runs theirs exclusively on mobile. So they have a controller, like a handheld controller, like, you know, for for drone piloting, like you'd see like an Xbox controller type of thing, and then you stick your mobile device on it with the DJI app and that's how you control the drones. And to your point, to what I was saying earlier, they, they're they trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, in my opinion. it's You're taking the methodology and the user interface from a, a camera drone and trying to just make that work for ag <laughs> using like a reskin, but not fundamentally changing the way that this thing communicates infrastructurally and not fun. They haven't fundamentally changed how you go around planning these routes and stuff. They're trying to make it work in a system that it was never meant for, and is ultimately limited. There's there's a glass ceiling there, right? And that's a big I, difference. I, it, yeah, it, I, it's hard. I'm just going to explain gonna, here. I'm just yeah. going to
1: explain. Well, I'm going to try and visualize it for people. Get on your laptop. You've got a field, a big, you know, rectangular or 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 or, um, or polygonal field with weird corners and basically what i saw in your user interface is you can draw lines across the field back and forth to say here's where i want you to go
0: mm-hmm. and then the drone
1: just takes off and flies that route and grant canary stuff does that i didn't see anything like that i say geofencing but it was much more a hand controller thing mm-hmm. it seemed to be for dji So you've got a much more autonomous uh, user interface which is anybody who uses a laptop and computer and Farmers are all tech people. They've got tech. They get laptops and stuff like that. They have to do it for a whole bunch of other stuff in their space. So you guys have got this thing where you just, okay, press a button, the drone goes away and it comes back and you refill it. You press a button, it goes away and keeps going from where it stopped. There seems a lot clunkier for farmers to me.
0: It, it is much clunkier. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that 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 you already get it. But yes, that is one of the key differentiators. There are... System, uh, okay. I'll give you a a concrete example. They advertise that they can do swarm control or fleet control, one Mm controller, multiple drones. It doesn't actually work like that. And and in all reality, you'd be you'd be hard pressed to fly more than two DJI drones at once. They use like a master-slave system, you know, in terms of like communication protocols. They have one controller that talks to another controller that talks to another controller, and they kind of all clone one another. I I suppose, I don't know exactly how it works uh, under the hood, but you still have to have those controllers out for those drones and there still is that communication. It's very clunky. Our system, I mean, you have a central ground station, like I said, Windows 10 or 11 device, and you can connect from a, a radio modem on that computer to up to four drones seamlessly. And our communication infrastructure, like from a program perspective is just lightning fast and you're actually able to sit there as one operator and fly four drones, like no bullshit. You cannot do mm-hmm. the DJI. Yeah, no, yeah Canary, because- Grant Canary
1: runs five with two operators in remote areas, four with one operator. I mean, because I saw you, 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 they fly back, you pop the lid off the thing, you po- put in the nozzle, you fill it back up, mm-hmm. you know, you step back, step well back because <laughs> you don't want to be in the way of those big propellers, and away it goes. Yeah, I mean, you yeah.
0: Shouldn't I, it, we, we, we tell people you don't even, you shouldn't even have the controller in your hands. I mean, it's there as a backup, but it, the human error is just going to cause more problems, right? So yes, let the let the machine do the work for you. It is autonomous for a reason.
1: Yeah, and you guys can do that. Thinking about the farmer's day, they could do it in the morning before they go out. They could plan the route before they go mm-hmm. out or do it at the night. They don't have to do it in the truck beside the field. No, you know, no, that's
0: a big weakness for DJI. Yeah, you nailed it.
1: You know, it's, it, it, I, I was just looking at that user interaction and going, that was a farmer. Boy, oh boy, that would be a you know, big differentiator. But of course, DJI has got these amazing brand presence. They've got the global presence. They've got distributors globally. So you're competing mm-hmm. with the distribution and the business model, even though you've got a superior product. You're definitely Betamax to their VHS, at least for now. Well, um, yeah,
0: hopefully it doesn't end up like that. <laughs> yeah, it, you, you're right. We're dealing with their their brand power and their purchasing power. But te- technologically speaking, despite the fact that they have billions I don't think I'm being arrogant to say like our 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 product just works better, and hmm. at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you have a team that's smart, driven, and actually interested in, in solving real problems, then you're have a better product. Like you don't need a billion dollars to make a good product. It's nice, but you don't need it. I think I think we've proven that at least for now in this space.
1: Well, I, I'm gonna actually say it differently because I, I studied. Corporate culture in global innovation. There's a great book called The Innovator's Dilemma, which I encourage you to read if you haven't read it already. And you know something in your, in your education have you? No. Okay. Okay. So a guy named Christensen and a guy named Rayner. You know, one guy was at Harvard prof, the other guy was like a one of the senior consulting senior consultancies. They got together and they studied innovation. They said what works and what doesn't. And the Innovator's Dilemma says you got a market leading product and You're doing something for the most demanding of customers. Then somebody comes along from the bottom and steals the bottom 10% of your product with something crappy. And so you don't care because they're the worst customers. They're the least profitable. And so your profits actually go up for a while. And then they get better and better and better. And then all of a sudden, the bottom end customer is better than anything you can do. And you're out of business. So you're doing that to John Deere's tractors and you're doing it to crop dusters. You're coming in with something which is. A little more fiddly instead of just calling up Joe's prop dusting and saying, I need X number of pounds of this product on this field on this day. They have to drive to the location, you know, and the drones come out and come back. You have to refill them a few times. It's a bit fiddlier, but they save a whole bunch of money along the process and it's just getting better and better. So you're kind of eating the bottom end of those markets. Instead of a $500,000 John Deere tractor, you got a couple of big drones it's kind of an interesting space and John Deere and the crop dusters are probably saying I'm you know the crop duster I, I don't know if you had these conversations they probably say you know that field that's so fiddly to fly it's always a pain in the ass I was worried about because it's got like wires in one direction it's got a tower over here how do you do it we don't have to do that anymore I feel so much better until they don't get any work at all from crop dusting because you're doing it all yeah and John Deere yeah. right those $500,000 tractors, if they only have to buy one instead of two, John Deere's gonna get something, su- gonna suffer. So, this is part of the innovator's dilemma problem. Now, the secondary part, when, when they bought that spraying drones, when a major corporation buys something innovative, I've seen this like 50 times in person. That innovative thing goes from being a really great team and product. And if you ever get bought, you'll know this. I've gone through an acquisition, it's a great product. Market leading, all of a sudden it's a tiny minnow in a massive ocean that mm. barely gets any attention, and so it doesn't get the funding, it doesn't get the marketing, it doesn't get those things. So DGI is it's a mixed sword. So it's kind of interesting, right? I, I see that now that you say they bought the product, and now yeah, DGI. I mean
0: it's less than one percent of their their revenue, their, their their ag sector. So yeah, to your point. I mean, how many resources are you going to devote to less than 1% of your <laughs> your revenue? Not a yeah, lot. If,
1: if I wanted a sensor drone, I'd go DJI. If I want to spray crops, I go to Helio. Mm-hmm. So now let's turn to John Deere. Different space, because they've got these massive tractors. And the interesting question there is, how much, if they sell 50 drones, how many fewer tractors do they sell? Good question.
0: Probably a bunch of different answers. Okay. There's so, some
1: rich cannibalization of their existing product line is a problem.
0: I've talked to a lot of dealers, John Deere dealers, case dealers, you know, Kubota, and I've heard a lot. A through line is that, look, I just really can't sell these. These tractors are getting so expensive and they're getting so hard to make. I mean, the lead times are like 18 months, two years. I just really, it's just so hard that the sales cycle, the sell of, $700,000 try to that you're going to get in 2 years. You can imagine how hard it is to convince someone to do that. And so I have people chomping at the bit essentially because they just see you got a drone for a fraction of the price. It's ready, okay, maybe, you know, our lead times are kind of long right now, months because we have such high demand, which is a good problem, but you're talking months, not years. So it's like I can get a drone this season, it cost me a tenth of what I would have paid that it, for a dealer for one of these big guys, that's I mean Just music to the ears, right?
1: Yeah. Well, let's let's actually talk about tractors because they're a really interesting space. A lot of people don't know this. I'm just nerdy, so I've been paying a little more attention. You know, you get into a tractor these days. One of the big modern tractors, it's got air conditioning. It's got a stereo. It's got a computer system. It's got a GPS. It's got like coffee cup holders. It might have an ice box. You know, it's like a powered ice box. These, it's like sitting inside the cab of a big Ford F-150 super cab in the same degree of comfort, but you're out on a field in these things. But they've already got the cab in the Ford F-150 with the air conditioning and the stereo and all those things. So that's replicating. for To use a tractor, you're replicating all the stuff they've already got in their pickup. Just it's because redundant. you have to manually drive it. There's a redundancy there. Mm-hmm. And the, you just tow the trailer with the drones. You sit in your nice cozy you've got your stuff laid out if you have something extra you've added to your cab you don't have to add it to your truck tractor as well whatever those things are D- pine air conditioner freshener i don't know yeah sure, yeah sure. these these tractors are amazing pieces of kit but if you don't need them you don't need them no they're
0: yeah. great i mean they're awesome yeah for sure they are awesome pieces of engineering great technology but there are just these economic forces. Like the bigger they get, the harder they are to make. the The more room for error there is. I not to mention, we haven't even got into. Like I was talking to again case dealers. They're telling me there is like okay, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating. Like Twenty miles worth of, of cable runs in some of these these new tractors. That's probably more what? than
1: what. Oh my goodness! Yeah.
0: there's there's a lot of cable run right, and it's just like okay, you have a cable snap or something or fray. You need uh, basically a PhD electrical engineer to actually do maintenance on this thing. It's getting to the point of complication to where it's just not jiving with the way farmers are used to operating. Which is like, I'm going to run this equipment hard. I don't have a choice because, you know, when when the sun's shining, I I got to get out there. Maybe the sun stops shining. It's rainy. I get, you know, my tractor all muddy. I get it stuck. I have to yank it out. I'm I'm putting pressure on the fender and all this and that. Like these these machines are going to get beat up. And so, therefore, they need to be relatively easy to service, and the farmer needs to be able to do it there. He doesn't need to, you know, drive it three states across to take it to a certified John Deere dealer with the electrical engineering staff and all that. We're at that point where, yeah, it's it's getting ridiculous um, the amount of like um, ancillary support that needs to go into these things. And so, the drones, in a lot of ways, yes, they're they're higher tech. Well, actually, tractors are pretty high tech nowadays too. But okay, equally high tech, but they actually. Are easier to service. I mean, there are fewer mechanical components. I mean, this is. I mean, you know, you know, EVs pretty well. It, it appears. I mean, you've got power distribution board. You've got batteries that feed to that. They feed to ESCs that feed to the motors. It's a very simple drivetrain. Little, very little friction. Just some bearings in, in the brushless motors, but that's it. Like this thing is easy. It's easy. I mean, there's there's fewer than 300 unique components on each of our drones. I would say.
1: So a propeller breaks. So you reach into your kit, you unscrew the propeller, you put on a new propeller, screw it back in. They can do that themselves.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, you got to think about like, okay, you brought up, yes, you're, you're swapping batteries in this thing in between flights. Every 10 minutes, you got to swap, swap batteries, go out and do another tank load. Well, first of all, in a tractor, you're, you're doing all sorts of stuff too when you're driving. But yeah, how much time, Okay, your tractor goes down, you take it to the shop, you don't get back for like two, two or three weeks. All of that time I mean, it's it's gargantuan compared to the time that you spent swapping batteries. So
1: yeah, so I, I can see inside John Deere, the salespeople because the the drone doesn't make them as much money as selling a seven hundred thousand dollar tractor. So the salespeople are probably really wanting to sell the tractors, and then of course the product line owners are going, well, these drones are stopping us from selling tractors, which are the thing we know how to do. You can just see the conflict. In the company, so it's kind For of interesting sure. to think through that, you know. And I'm I'm going to be interested to watch this space and see other ones. Uh, so tell me, I mean, I I happen to spot two of your primary competitors who are 800 pound gorillas in drones and agriculture. Are there other major competitors you've got out there, or you know?
0: There are other foreign based companies like XAG or XAG. I'm actually not sure how they pronounce it. They are they are similar to DJI in a lot of ways. They are large. Chinese-based company, I think out of Shenzhen, and they make mm-hmm. again products that look really nice. They're polished, but ultimately they have the same. I would say generally the same pitfalls that DJI does, like not mm-hmm. good market market product fit, clunky software that's based on mobile platforms that um, doesn't allow for planning proactively, doesn't allow for for easy operation of multiple drones at the same time, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in terms of like peers here in the states, I'm kind of at a loss. are the market leader in the
1: United States?
0: Yeah, there are distributors that are reselling DJI and and X-Act drones. So American companies that are are distributors, resellers, but they aren't producing tech in-house like we are. They aren't manufacturing like we are. I do know, and it's probably a name that you're familiar with, like there's Guardian, formerly Kiwi. They're based out of Maryland or somewhere in the Northeast, Massachusetts. They Mm -hmm. are VC-backed and... or at least advertising that they're going to do a similar thing to Helio as in offer like a spray zone. But I, I'm not sure where they, I, I don't want to speak too much to it. I, I I think they're pre-revenue or early revenue. So so they're definitely not at the commercialization that we're at, So not not yeah. necessarily appear there, but at least not right now. There's PICA. You probably heard of PICA. I, I wouldn't yeah. consider them, yeah, I wouldn't consider them competitors, but they are a startup that does a large fixed-wing aircraft. And they, I think they have pretty good funding as well. I forget where they're based. Agriculture is one of the use cases they deploy their mm-hmm. drones for. But I think they're in like large and possibly even human parcel delivery uh, primarily. Mm-hmm. So they do they do a big EV toll fixed wing platform Pro I think like maybe a thousand pounds or so, maybe a little bit lighter. I don't exactly recall. Uh,
1: sounds a bit early personally. You know, they might be able to get there in the future but you guys are in the sweet spot right now and to be clear 10 minutes uh, 150 pounds so 350 pounds in totals 10 minutes this is one of those intersectional things right you've got the ability to do this you've got the control system that's based on windows with a cellular with a a radio that reaches to the drones you've got battery energy density that's sufficient you've got pre-existing battery you know drone technology software that enables you to do your stuff You've got some autonomous flight stuff you can lean on there's pro- Do you use open source libraries for any of that or did you just have to roll your own in a lot of those cases I mean, uh, Sorry, were you able to leverage we were you able to roll your own for this do you have to roll your own for all the software or did you leverage a bunch of pre-existing packages
0: Oh so, well the ground control stuff is completely us in house so from the ground up but yeah a lot of the um the actual flight control stuff that that's on board the the, the controller We use the Pixel Cube, by the way, flight controller, which is an open source hardware design, but it's very good. Yeah, a lot of those just basic attitude controls and stuff, we were able to use Mm -hmm. just open source stuff.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of the point is you've actually got battery energy density plus the drone Pixel Cube stuff that you can leverage for a unique use case without having to develop the whole entire thing, right? Mm -hmm. There's, you know, uh, when I was talking to the folks over at Solutions, I don't know if you ever spoke to them. I, I mentioned them in an email. To you, but they're the um uh, Caitlin and Vic. They do, they, Vic is an aerospace guy who loves drones and he started in Mumbai and he was using drones and he really wanted to use drones. And Caitlin's a, a climate person and wanted energy. And so what they're doing is aggregating, they provide a platform, a cloud based platform for drone inspection videos mostly, but also air any inspection videos of grid assets. So any linear asset that needs to have inspections, they can just use high-resolution imagery. It flows into their package. But it's a, very much drones are taking over that entire market. It used to be there'd be somebody walking along underneath the lines or driving underneath them or in an airplane or a helicopter. But that entire market is being eaten by drones. Just as a lot of this stuff, you're eating the market for crop sprayers and tractors. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And they have, it's that intersectional moment in time when it's possible to do that, like l- let me ask a question: If you try to do this in two thousand and eight, could you? No. That's kind of the, that's kind of this wonderful time we're in, where there's so much stuff available that we yeah. can do really interesting stuff. Like I wouldn't using be doing,
0: yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be doing this if if, if my timing wasn't luckily great.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's just an interesting time for them. Machine learning for visual recognition, peak, you know, just did a real top-up in 2015 and there's open source packages that enable machine learning visual recognition stuff to be leveraged by anybody well not quite anybody people at least your level of skills or, or fix but but that gets to the next question so part of precision agriculture is you know you've got a field the field has spots that are drier and wetter this field's got spots that are you know got different soil composition and you kind of end up with these dead spots or potentially dying spots. And so part of your use case is applying more of the, exactly the amount of stuff that's required in the spots that's needed in a field.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right? And you've, That's all part of the use cases, and it's just part of precision agriculture. The question I had for you, do your drones have sensor packages which help farmers to identify that? Because these fields are big. So how do you know where that spot is?
0: Yes. Yeah, so there are, let me make this less confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can put a, a range of sensors on our drones and some people choose to do that. So you can put multi-special cameras, thermal cameras, just normal high-resolution RGB cameras on there. And you can use those for crop scouting. However, we have an open type of uh, um, architecture in our software, meaning that you can also pull in Prescriptions or, or or maps KML files, shape files from other systems as well. So if you are using a, a DJI Mavic or an Autel Evo Pro or a Skydio drone, and you can scan, you can scan with that, and then pull those maps into into Agrisol GCS our software and fly uh, off of those too. So we are mm-hmm. not we're not locking people into our our ecosystem. You can use our drones to, to do the scouting. You don't have to. And in fact, right now, I we don't have a dedicated scout drone. So I would recommend people do the latter, which is oh. go use one of these awesome scout drones that's on the market right now, whichever one you prefer, dedicate that one to scouting, dedicate our drones to what they're good at, which is the spraying, and then just marry the two, which, which our software allows for quite easily. I will say, a little sneak peek, we are making a dedicated scout drone. Maybe release this year, maybe early next. And then I would, of course, recommend people use that. <laughs> but until then, and traditionally, we've we've been more than happy to recommend that people use these other great scout drones on the market, simply because it's just you know peanut butter to our jelly.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let me ask, this is actually something that I think I missed, which is not surprising. Uh, I'm making no bones about what I don't know here. So there are agricultural scout drones that assist with precision agriculture today from dgi and others
0: yeah that's right it's a bit of an ecosystem so like for example there's a company called pix 4d uh, mm-hmm. another startup oh i may i should just call him a company and i know uh, one of the engineers over there named nathan he's a great guy basically their program stitches maps together from, from any sort of camera data from from drones. So it could be a DJI drone, a SkyDO. I think they support Autel as well, like I mentioned. And they'll just stitch together images and they'll allow you to do all sorts of post processing on those images to identify crop areas that that need attention. So there's Pix4D, which I just talked about, there's drone deploy, there's probably dozens of other uh, dozens of other middleware type of companies that can do this processing for you of this raw data. So, there's scout drones that are made by these players. There's this middleware image processing stuff made by a bunch of different companies. And then there's Helio that makes the spray drones. And so they all talk to each other for the most part. And it, it's in everyone's best interest to make their stuff as communicative as pro- possible. So people just have optionality, right? And, yeah. So,
1: I, I guess what I'm hearing is a lot of farmers have, a lot more farmers have drones than I thought had drones already.
0: There are, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I would say at least let's let's venture to say at least 15% of all US farmers have used or own a a drone for agriculture period now that might just be a scouting drone for agriculture but a drone nonetheless not necessarily a spray one i would say 15% and there's you know 2 million farmers 2 million farms in america i think so a fair amount
1: yeah this is a case where a fixed wing scouting drone would make a lot of sense a fixed wing uav because the range is significantly increased and the payload is lighter, you know. whereas the ag drone that you use, it makes a lot of sense from the use case and the physics of pushing the product down into the crops mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And so it's kind of differentiated. Yeah, a differentiator. yeah you nailed it.
0: Yeah, there's a, okay. there's a product called the EB, E-B-E-E, formerly made by a company called Sensefly, now owned by a company called Ag Eagle in the space. And great drone. It's like a it's a fixed wing foam chassis that you hand launch, and yeah, it's got like a, an hour of endurance, I think. And, and, and to your point, it, it, it it's really good for for th- several hundreds, if not thousands, of acres of scouting. Uh, maybe not all in one flight, but it's a lot better yeah. suited uh, to that versus like your fifteen minute flight time DJI multi rotor. So yeah, that's exactly. that's a good
1: marriage right there. That that is okay. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking through the ecosystem. I hadn't real 15% of American farmers already have drones. That's yeah, an I amazing. Through that number
0: out, I think it's yeah, it's, it's your no a no statistic. Yeah. It's it, being we'll in the space, you. it's my intuition. Yeah.
1: Yep. Huh. And there's and now we're getting differentiation of drones. So so that's two types of drones. Let's just actually play this out because there's ground drones and air drones. Autonomous mm-hmm. tractors mm-hmm. are starting to appear as well. They don't have the, you know, air conditioning and the stereo and the stuff like that, but they do have computers and GPS. Yes, um, yes. No cup holders. So there's ground drones that are starting to appear to reduce the labor cost. We've now got two types of aerial drones. Are there any other types of aerial drones that you're aware of, or just those two so far?
0: Uh, you could subdivide. I mean, there's, there's your fixed wings. Mm -hmm. There's your multi-rotors, which are subclasses, of course. There's your cargo drones, like ours, which actually carry payload. Yeah, there's the ground rovers. There's the underwater ones, if you want to bring them into the mix here. (laughs) Well, but are they used
1: in agriculture? I'm just thinking about the farm ecosystem. You might call it fishery uh, agriculture, Ah, yeah, technically. (laughs) Interesting. Huh. Okay, so we we actually have potentially some farms with three, probably three different classes of autonomous vehicles doing use cases today somewhere somebody has all three
0: gout drone spray drone rover drone tractor drone whatever you want to call it yes
1: yeah interesting that that's actually one of the things that i'm projecting for uh decarbonization of agriculture because they're all going to be electric eventually you know know, including the ground uh, ground tractors it's just yeah
0: yeah for the record i think that yeah, small autonomous electric ground tractors are are great, and they're going to work in conjunction with with our spray drones in the future. It's not like one or the other. I think you want both. Yeah. Lighter, you know, lighter ground tractors are going to be less soil compaction because they're not as heavy. They're going to be cheaper if you make them smaller. So instead of just using one giant tractor, you might use a fleet of three or four of these smaller uh, ground-based rovers. So yeah, you can you can eliminate a lot of the traditional issues with these big tractors um, using these these small autonomous ones.
1: So, hmm, because I'm exploring into the space, you know, uh, I'm able to ask some interesting questions, but I don't feel like I've asked all the questions. So, you know, for you, what what questions haven't I asked or what haven't we touched on that you think is probably significant we should add to the mix? Hmm.
0: Mm Hmm. Big question. I guess you didn't ask me what I what I think the industry looks like in 5 years, 10 years. What have you? Sure, let's go there. I'm sure you have your opinions as well.
1: Mm. I, I go decades, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, see running this business, I I I need I need to do both. I need to think, you know, decades, but also short term because it's like at the end of the day we we need cash and we got to make money. Yep. So I think that drones, spray drones, are going to reach a, a cap size to where it just like doesn't make sense to make them any bigger. Yeah, this is something that I've been just noticing and, and thinking about for for at least the past like two years pretty heavily. If you have a drone that's sufficiently big enough, then you start to lose the advantages of it being cheap and lean and easy to repair and transport and whatnot. So you wouldn't want a drone that's like a hundred gallon payload. I think that's too big, personally. I think you'd much rather have two 50 gallon drones versus 100 gallon drone. And that's just again drawn from a decade of my experience. So their drones are gonna reach a cap size of of probably around there, 40, 50 gallons, I think per unit is what makes sense. Um, This is still gonna be like a thousand pound unit though, right? Cause you're, Mm -hmm. that's about, let's call it like a 600 to 650 pound, like maximum takeoff weight where you're not throttling too much to lose control. And then the entire aircraft yeah, weighs 1,000, maybe 1,200 pounds or so. Now, the other half of this is, okay, yeah, drones are going to reach a, a a cap of size, and of course, they're going to get further and further polished and, and more just reliable. But on the ground side, you're going to have more and more automation and removal of the human from even just the, the inter- or between-flight processes. So... We right now, and I'm sure some other companies are working towards completely automating the, the charging or the battery swapping between flights, as well as mm-hmm. the payload filling, the payload mixing, all that. Um, ideally, is, is not by, done by a single human. It's all done uh, autonomously. So humans are, are giving high-level directives to this self-contained hive of spray drones and scout drones. And then this hive is just being plopped down on a farm maybe forever, or maybe just for the season, and then it moves to another farm. But it's got drones coming in and out of it constantly, and they're just autonomously um, going out and doing what they need to do. That's based on you know, uh, AI. It's a beehive. Learning. Yeah, it's a beehive. It's a beehive. It, yeah, functionally speaking, exactly. Yeah, that's where I see the industry going. So I think within five years, honestly, we're there. Maybe that sounds mm-hmm. a little fast. But I think we're there in five years.
1: Well, certainly the capabilities, you know, autonomous mixing and stuff like that already pre-exists. Autonomous mm-hmm. filling of containers already pre-exists. So autonomous battery right. swapping already just a matter of pre-exists. putting them
0: together and prioritizing it in a way that's affordable and reliable. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Technology is trivial, I would even venture to say.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say I, I, sus- my, my, my gut feel from someone who's fairly far out of this, but I feel like trailering to a site folding down the sides of the trailer and servicing a large area. And then the truck is autonomous. So the truck can go somewhere else and go somewhere else and go somewhere else. It's probably the model, but, you know, as opposed to a fixed hive kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's but, like a Tesla semi with two 50-gallon drones on it. Just like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. A few scout drones you know, buzzing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I've already seen trailers with autonomous drone launching and stuff, where the, the thing slides open, the drone drone gets raised up, and it flies away. Yeah, so that's a kind UPS, of a, UPS has one that does that. Yeah, well, you know the the we talked about drone delivery and of parcels. There's some unique places like medicines, sure chocolate bars for people of amazon prime plus i don't buy it
0: (laughs) no i don't think the economics works out and this is coming from someone that did it for for a few months at least
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah basically i see a a ground parcel van with a whole bunch of lockers on it that trundles along the sidewalk stops in front of a building texts people they come down they put in a code they get their package and they walk back upstairs much more so you know the
0: uh there's the like the Boston Dynamics, like the humanoid robots. Mm-hmm. I think much better suited to that.
1: Mm, yeah, different power maybe things, may- different loads. Not yeah, the subject maybe of a this. Slow. Yeah, but but we are now at the end of our time. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. But I I always leave a different open ended question for people. And I, I force you to have one open ended question. I'm going to force you to think about another one. You've got an audience that's fifty percent inside the United States. You've got in fifty percent outside the United States. You are working in a place which is making agriculture much more efficient, low cost, and as we've discussed, although you don't sell it that way, low carbon. This is an open-ended opportunity to say whatever you want to that audience. Hmm.
0: Where outside of the U.S., where's this other fifty percent?
1: Oh, we've got India, any any place English-speaking mostly, and that includes, you know, we've got Russian listeners and stuff like that, but an English-speaking audience.
0: Well, I would simply say I don't think there are enough young, brilliant people in the ag tech space right now, which is a shame because there is a lot of money to be made in the ag tech space. So I would simply urge your listeners, if they're – maybe college age, fresh out of college, or like even older looking for a career change. Ag tech, maybe at the surface isn't the sexiest thing because you think farmers, you think old school, old fashioned. It, it's a very high tech space these days, very lucrative. And like we, we talked about at the beginning, it's the most important thing that, that we do as a species, survive, feed one another. So I, I just want more people. I think we're going to uh, solve a lot of problems by making farming more productive and cheaper and greener. And so I just want more people my age to get in, just 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 dive in.
1: Yeah, I'm actually gonna extend your thinking just a little bit. So one of the things I've recently completed was a projection of all marine shipping decarbonization through 2100, aviation decarbonization, ground transportation. And I'm you know settled looking at all the alternative fuels that would be necessary in place in this few places where batteries wouldn't cut it or grid tying wouldn't cut it. Like crossing oceans with 15,000 containers, batteries aren't going to cut that for a long time. Flying a passenger jet across the Pacific, batteries aren't going to cut that for a long time. So
0: that's right. what are we going
1: to use? What, but we can't keep burning fossil fuels. And so I went through all the different types of fuels and I did all the nerdy chemistry stuff and I did all the economics. And I've settled on biofuels as the answer for those segments stock cellulosic biofuels more than anything else, which are- I, I, I agree with you. yeah. I'm actually which a big fan as well. agriculture just becomes even more important. Mm-hmm. All of our burnable fuels are going to come from the stocks of the stuff behind you on the screen in a few decades. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, it's, it's
1: virtual. And important. that's all ag tech, you yeah. know? So anyway, Arthur- I managed to get through this entire thing without making a joke about architects. Then you know, uh, the Canadian
0: Arthur Erickson. Yes.
1: <laughs> yep. I've been in many of his buildings, great stuff, completely irrelevant to the conversation, but thank you so much for taking time out of your day and, you know, spending some time helping me understand more about the space, sharing insights with me and, and helping me and the audience as well, figure out that there's something else going on there. That's really interesting. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Glad to be on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.